I was able to read stories like The Little Match Girl mm. and The Emperor's New Clothes. Mm, and that child who said that everybody didn't know um, or didn't want to say, um, but the emperor is wearing no clothes. When I write my books, I would certainly like to be that child. Hello and welcome back to The Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Young Chang is in the studio today and I'm so excited for you to meet her. She is the international best-selling author of Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China and Mao, The Unknown Story. Her books have been translated into over 40 languages and sold more than 15,000 copies outside mainland China where her books are banned. Yuan was born in China in 1952 and came to Britain in 1978. We're going to hear a little bit more about that in the episode. And I was really excited to hear about her new book, Big Sister, Little Sister, Red Sister. It tells the story of the famous three sisters of China, Qingling, Meiling and Ailing, who at one time were at the centre of power in Shanghai, and each of them left an indelible mark on history. Here is me talking to Young Chang. Just a brief content note that there are some mentions of miscarriages in this episode. Um, If you would like to check our show notes, you can find out where those bits are if they're not appropriate for you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Vintage Podcast this morning. Mm. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. You're good. I'm mm. very excited about the book coming out. Um, we're all really, um, I'm really excited for other people mm. to be able to read the stories of the three sisters as well. Um, so the three sisters that you write about, they span the whole of the 20th century. Um, and it, it, they kind of give us a kind of front row seat, wider, um, big historical moments mm. uh, that were happening at the time. Um, tell us a little bit before we kind of I kind of pray into you about the sisters um, how you um, kind of came to be a writer and what it means to you to mm. be a writer. Okay, how I came to be a writer. <laughs> um, well, I always wanted to be a writer when I was a child, mm-hmm. um, but when I was growing up under Mao in communist China, it was impossible to want to be a writer because. Um, Nearly all writers were condemned, you know, denounced, sent to the gulag, or even executed. And even writing for oneself was dangerous. Uh, I wrote my first poem when I, on my 16th birthday in 1968. It was in the cult- middle of the Cultural Revolution. And, and when I was lying in bed um, thinking about my poem, um, I heard the door banging. The Red Guards had come to raid our flat. If they saw my poem, I would have got into trouble and my family would have got into trouble. Mm -hmm. So I had to quickly rush to the toilet to tear up my poem and flush it down the toilet. That ended my first writing venture. (laughs) But the idea of writing never left me. So in the following years, I was exiled to the edge of the Himalayas and worked as a peasant um, and as a barefoot doctor. <laughs> and Does that, that mean that, uh, that, you, that you're not technically trained? Is that the, yes, the, a barefoot yeah. doctor meant a doctor without any training mm. because Mao had condemned books and, and the formal education 
and said, the more books you read, the more stupid you become. So you know, books were burned across China. So I started to treat people without any training. And later I became a steel worker and an electrician. Um, when I was, you know, when I was working in the fields, spreading manure, you know, picking <laughs> cotton, and when I was checking electricity supplies on top of the electricity poles, and I was always writing in my head with an imaginary pen. Mm. But I couldn't be a writer. Um, then I came to Britain, um, and for 10 years, I didn't want to be a writer because I came, I'd come to a place which felt like another planet to me, and I wanted to enjoy this new world. And to write would be to look back and inwards into a past I wanted to forget about. So I didn't want to write, and then my mother came to me um, um, in 1988, 10 years after I came to Britain, and she told me the stories of her life, the stories of my grandmother and my father, and I wrote Wild Swans. And that made me a writer. Mm, so then I wrote a biography of Mao, um, I wrote a biography of the Empress Dowager Cixi, and now the three Song Sisters. Amazing. Tell us a little bit about the Song Sisters, because I, I know mm. that they're, they're very well known in China, and people have kind of, I think you call them kind of fairy stories about, mm. about what they were like. What attracted you to want to talk about them, and what, what do you think that people don't, you know, realise about them? There's so much more there, isn't there? Mm. Uh, when my biography of Empress Dowager Cixi was published, I started to think about writing another book. And, and um, but... I didn't want to make the three sisters the subjects. I was, at the time, indifferent to them um, because they were such fairy tale figures and I couldn't feel any human qualities in them. And instead, I decided to write about Sun Yasian, this man who is called, who is known in, all the, in the Chinese-speaking world um, as the father of China, meaning the father of Republican China. Sun Yat-sen was the kind of a bridge between Empress Dowager Cixi and Mao, whose biographies I have written. So he, um, I wanted to fill this gap and how China um, traversed from Empress Dowager's time to Mao's time, um, and therefore to complete a kind of a trilogy in modern Chinese history. And Sun Yat-sen, like Mao and Cixi, was a program setter. He made policies. Um, but when I was doing, when I have done, had done many research, after I did a lot of research, I lost the interest in Sun Yat-sen. Um, <laughs> he seems to be a, a man who was single-mindedly um, focused on pursuing power and and power was the only thing that drove him and he was a bit like Mao you know I felt um, I felt a bit um, um, you know I lost interest mm. um, but and during the process and his wife and her sisters emerged as most extraordinary 
and all the with all the human qualities. Mm. You know, they were passionately in love. They were desperately let down. Um, they had the nervous breakdowns. They suffered miscarriages and were left childless. Two of them, mm. one Madame Sun Yat-sen and Madame Chiang Kai-shek, and and these miscarriages were the results of the life they had chosen and the men they had married and uh, and not to mention their own importance because red sister madame sunyasian chingling um, was mao's vice chair and she was of course well known i mean my, from my childhood um, and uh, madame chiang kai-shek again well known from my childhood, um, was the first lady of China before Mao came to power, and then she was the first lady of Taiwan, and so they and they were also political figures in their own rights. And Madame Chiang Kai-shek, for example, was one of the most famous women in the world during the Second World War because she helped her husband lead the resistance against Japan. And um, um, and I knew these figures from my childhood. Um, and for example, Red Sister Qingling, we all knew somehow in China, we all heard the rumor that she had an affair with her chief bodyguard mm -hmm. and they may or may not have been married. And so I, mean, I was struck, I remember this rumor very well because no other leaders were talked about except her. Yeah. I mean, so um, I, um, I was, um, it was quite extraordinary. And of course, we also all heard that Madame Chiang Kai-shek, little sister Mei-ling, had a bath every day in, in milk. Um, to make her skin good. Mm. I mean, you know, this was, we all believed that's it. Shocking. it was, that was shocking. Waste, in, it's so rationed. And, exactly. Yeah. Well, mm. not even rationed. Mm. Milk was unavailable mm. except to the elite um, because it was so nutritious and rare. Um, and um, and um, then I remember once a teacher um, hesitantly said, do you really believe it would be comfortable to bath in milk? <laughs> and uh, he was soon condemned as a oh. rightist. Um, this for, was for Mao's China for yeah. saying that, for trying to excuse, but being seen to be trying to excuse uh, mailing little mm -hmm. sister. Well, when you were coming to, to write the book, and obviously there's always different kind of directions uh, you could have gone so you could have written it maybe as a fiction and it embellished some of the, the stuff that's missing from the research you could have just given us a a very kind of um wide kind of history of that time but you chose to focus on these three sisters what what made you make that decision because i think it it really kind of kind of puts you in the book and mm. helps you i can never write fiction mm -hmm. i can't cross the divide yeah. from non-fiction to fiction okay. so that's out of the question <laughs> and in addition i I never kind of plan an approach to a book, mm. and all this, all the my approach, has been instinctive. Mm. I I just know in myself how I would tell the story, yeah. um, how I 
we will organize the materials. I mean, it's nothing is through conscious planning, but I just follow my kind of writer's instinct. Mm. And uh, tell me a little bit about the research process, because it's there's, there's probably so much that hasn't been said about them. How did you go about finding out? And what, was there anything kind of shocking or surprising to you? Lots of things are shocking. Yeah. I think a lot of things in the book are surprising. In fact, I think I would, I'm, I will never write a book that is not surprising. Mm. I mean, I, I don't like predictable books mm. myself for reading. So I would not impose a predictable, predictable book on my readers. <laughs> so I think they will always find some, we'll always find things yeah. unknown mm. and, um, and uh, shocking. Um, and I myself discovered many things uh, that shocked me. Um, for example, um, Qinling, Red Sister, was passionately in love with her husband, mm. Sun Yaxian, and was ready to die for him. But then he had set her up as a bait to draw enemy assaults. And so he could, um, anyway, without saying too much, I mean, but so for his own political ambitions, mm. for his own goals. And she had a she, mm, miscarriage. She had, she fled, um, you know, in this war, she nearly died people fled with her, died, she nearly died, and she lost her child, um, she miscarried, um, and she was told she would never be able to have children, which affected all her life, because she was desperate to have a child. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, um, that how, that how this happened, people knew about this episode, but people don't know this is the result of her husband to set her up. Mm. And how exactly this happened was completely shocking to me. Um, and I hope people will find it unexpected. Yeah. Um, and also Mailing miscarried um, and was told sh she could never have children. And this was also because of who Chiang Kai-shek was. Mm. Um, Assassins got into their bedroom. Assassins targeting Chiang Kai-shek, her husband, had got into their bed bedroom, um, and as a, she she had a miscarriage as a result, mm. and so they were full of things like that. Um, yeah, and you um, met the descendants, the last descendant of the Song sisters, didn't you? What was that like? Yes, well, it was absolutely extraordinary to yeah. me that between the three illustrious sisters, there is only one descendant because mm. two of them could yeah, not have children. To, yeah. So only big sister Eileen had a, 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 a had four, had children, and uh, the youngest of her ch of her children married a Hollywood star. The leading lady with Elvis Presley, yes. and she was uh, she was she was the leading lady of Elvis's first film, Love Me Tender, yeah. I think, and uh, she was more famous than Elvis, and they fell on her to promote Elvis, <laughs> and she said, uh, uh, "I think 
this young man will go far. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> she was right as well. <laughs> Not a bad prediction. And, uh, mm. and she turned down Elvis's, yeah. Elvis, and Elvis's uh, proposal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and she married um, Eileen, big sister's grandson. Yeah. And they have one child. Mm. Um, and this child um, is the only descendant of the three sisters. Mm. And, and I, I met him. And um, I met Deborah Paget, the Hollywood yes, star. The and, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and they are fiercely private people. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, but well, what, what I wanted to say was... Um, this um, youngest son of Eileen's is also a man of tremendous imagination. Uh, he built this, perhaps the world's biggest private bunker on Texas Plain, outside Houston. Oh. And in the late 1950s, there was a lot of scare about Russian atomic bomb attack and the possible you know Chinese uh, bomb attack and so he built this private bunker that could resist atomic attacks and the bunker could house a hundred and thousand and five hundred people for a month mm-hmm. and it was equipped for everything mm-hmm. and including a jail and somebody asked this um, son of Eileen, Big Sisters, uh, why a jail? And he said, um, uh, you know, with 1,500 people cooped up in this place, there's bound to be trouble. <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, today this bunker is still there. Wow. It's the, um, it houses data. Mm. of computer for computer oh, really? companies and it's the emergency command center for United Airways in America. So it's hired by by big mm. international companies. And you can also see how well constructed yeah. this giant private bunker was. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm. So the kind yeah, of impact so, so, on, yes. on that kind of modern thing. Mm. Um, you talk about how this kind of single-mindedness doesn't interest you, and I, I agree, the kind of idea of just the pursuit of power. And, and the, these sisters are incredibly kind of dual-minded, and they have this, this, this real kind of 3D aspect to them. Would, it, would you like to meet them if, they, if you could, if you could kind of go back in time and meet them? Do you think you'd get on with them? Would you have questions for them? Because the, the youngest died in 2003, was it? She, she lived to 100 or... 105. Wow. She yeah. she died after nine eleven. Wow! <laughs> in two thousand and three. Yeah. That's, yes. That's amazing. Would um, you Would you go back in time and meet them? Meet them. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I I don't think about things in this way. <laughs> yeah. And I um actually I uh, I don't feel um. Yes, I you know it would be very nice to meet them, but um, it's. I, I don't have this tremendous urge mm. to meet them. I mean, I, I think I, um, this book somehow um, is the book that I, I feel most detached. It's not, mm-hmm. I feel most, you know, less emotionally mm-hmm. involved personally mm. than Mao, the biography yes. of Mao and the biography of Empress Dowager mm-hmm. um, because I lived under Mao 
and I, you know, my family suffered under Mao. My father died, my grandmother died. So inevitably, my personal emotions um, were visible in the biography. And then when I wrote about the Empress Dowager Cixi, I was so furious about the injustice she had suffered. So she's been maligned for over a hundred years, and they still been maligned, and uh, and yet she's done so much good mm. for China, mm, and um, mm, so inevitably that also affected my mm, my right my is visible in yeah. my biography of, mm. of her, and with the three sisters, and I find their lives fascinating. I mean, I wrote about them um, without much of my mm, my without m- much invest much my personal mm-hmm. emotions invested in their stories, and which might be a good thing, which might be um, um, might be more at a distance. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question, I. Uh, uh, well, I could. S- I think I believe I was fair to Mao and Empress Dowager, mm. and uh, it's just in the writing there is um, there is um, an emotional um, emotional element. Um, with the three sisters, there isn't that. I think much less, or there isn't mm. that emotional element. So it's a slightly different kind of a book for me. Um, I don't think I particularly. Having finished writing about them, I would be delighted to meet them, but I don't have the urge. Yes, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Are there any writers that have inspired you? You know, maybe you know um, from growing up or or elsewhere. Like anybody that inspires you now. Um, you know, when I was a child, most Western books were banned, mm. and but one writer was permitted, which was Hans Christian Andersen. Of uh, all of the because, writers? Because his um, children's books uh, were supposed to have, children's stories, were supposed to have exposed the ills of a capitalist society. Oh. <laughs> this was in <laughs> communist China. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to read stories like The Little Match Girl Mm. and The Emperor's New Clothes. And that child who said that everybody didn't know um, or didn't want to say, um, but the emperor is wearing no clothes. And that child has always caught my imagination. Mm. And as an adult, um, you know, now, many decades later, um, I, I still find him... The um, mm, my literary favorite, um, my literary hero, because I would certainly when I write my books, I would certainly like to be that child. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Are you going to read Big Sister, Little Sister, Red Sister? I really hope so. Do let us know what you thought of the episode um, at Vintage Books on Twitter and Instagram. Do give us a rating or review wherever you're listening to podcasts. And until next time. 